Heinke Digital presents Damocles, an audiobook podcast by Christian Heinke. Chapter 1 The Accident. I was crossing the footbridge on the east side of the park with Sam when she suddenly stopped and pricked up her ears. I looked around. Except for a couple standing by the retention ponds on the level below me, Sam and I seemed to be the only ones in the park this early in the morning. It was located in the western part of the city of Bakum and covered about 75 acres. It housed, in addition to the park, a building that was known as the Century Hall, formerly used as a blower machine shop and now converted into a multi-purpose hall for events. I had attended concerts there ages ago. I could vaguely remember a young Scottish woman who had been in the charts for a few years at that time. Angie MacDonald had been her name, or something like that. The couple standing at a distance, talking animatedly. No, it went beyond animated conversation. They were arguing. The man had dark hair, olive skin, was slim and of medium build, and wore an elegant wool coat over his expensive suit. The woman, a tall blonde with an updo, wore an old-fashioned trench coat, the style of which was coming back into fashion. I couldn't hear what the two were arguing about. They were too far away for that. I knelt down to Sam, which was harder than I would have liked. The cold and damp autumn air was not good for my old bones. Sam lifted her muzzle and stared up at the gray sky with low-lying clouds, then gave a short bark. It sounded worried, as much as a dog's bark could sound worried. What's wrong, girl? I asked her, stroking her head. Then suddenly, with thundering rotors, a transport drone dropped out of the sky. Its cargo consisted of a 20-foot container about the size of a small truck. But it carried it for only about another three seconds, because by then there was their sound of a mighty clonk as the two rear latches of the retaining clamps released. The drone sank lower, like a huge bumblebee loaded too heavily, as the automatic controls tried to compensate for the sudden weight shift. I estimated where the drone and its cargo would crash in the park and opened my mouth to warn the couple at the retention ponds. Both looked up, startled. The man stopped as if frozen, the woman reacted immediately and started to run. Before my shout could leave my throat, I heard another clonk and the front retaining clips of the drone released the container. In ghastly silence, it plummeted down into the depths, shattering with an eerie roar at the edge of the containment basin and burying the man beneath it. Circuit boards and plastic parts flew through the air for meters. A few of them even crashed into the balustrade of the footbridge we were on. Sam barked like crazy, jumped around and pulled on the leash. The blonde stopped for a moment and stared at the spot where she herself had been standing a few moments ago. Hey! I called out to her. She turned her head and looked at me for a moment. She really was a beautiful woman. She was probably in her late twenties, as far as I could tell from this distance, with my old eyes. Then the woman turned again and ran off. Hey! I called after her again. I activated my implant and dialed 911. Emergency call center, Bauckham. What kind of emergency is this? Linka here. Service number 108093. A cargo drone has dropped its container in West Park. Presumed one injured or dead from the crash. Suspected cargo of the container is computer parts. Copy that. Implant verified. GPS coordinates received. Sending a rescue unit immediately. 
Sam barked at me as if to ask, What are you waiting for, old man? I released her leash, fearing she would rip my arm off otherwise. She sprinted off, scurrying down the gangplank to the lower level where the smashed container was. I followed her as fast as I could. By the time I reached the container, I could already hear the distant sound of the rescue squad sirens. Presumably, in two or three minutes, the drone copters of the fire department and other forces would land. I suspected that there would be nothing I could do for the man who had been buried by the container, but nowadays there was no way of knowing. Many members of the military and police had artificial parts built into them, which made you a little tougher than ordinary people who were just flesh and blood. I myself wore an artificial arm after losing my own in the explosion of a bomb. The cargo container had literally burst when it hit the ground. I was climbing over old-fashioned Dell desk computers that were apparently going to be recycled. Sam was standing near what had once been the container's hatch, barking at something. Hello? No response. I stalked stiff-legged over a stack of more PCs. Then I saw a trembling bloody fist rise from the rubble like the hand of a living dead. I tried to grasp the hand, for it was clutching something tightly. The grip loosened and the hand dropped an object. Quite automatically, I caught it. It was a small, flat, silver item. I tossed aside some of the PC cases to get to the man. His head was caved in on one side and covered in blood. Unless the man was mostly artificial body parts, I guess he was beyond help. To me, it seemed like a miracle that he was still conscious. Demo. He croaked. His breathing was only a whistle. Probably his lungs were collapsed and full of blood. What? I asked. Damocles. The man whispered, pointing to the silver item. Then his gaze broke. He was dead. Sam barked briefly and then looked at me questioningly. However, I didn't know what the man had wanted to tell me either. A swelling roar and bright blue lights announced the imminent landing of the rescue forces. I thought about it for a moment. Then I put the box in my coat pocket. I pulled out my ID and walked with it toward the rescue workers jumping out of a drone copter. One of the firefighters looked at me. I know who you are, Mr. Lenka. I can read your profile. He was right about that, of course. In the days of implants, you no longer needed a smartphone for identification, let alone a plastic badge. The firefighters saw the identifier of my badge number floating above my head like a speech bubble in a comic book. I had turned off that feature on my implant. I didn't want to know what everyone was at all times. Shrugging, I pocketed my old-fashioned badge again. Old habit. I said. Man, an ancient habit. How old are you? Your profile doesn't show that. Well, I had disabled that feature too. A friend from college, Simon Haddad, had done that for me. I felt old enough myself every day. I didn't need to keep trumpeting that to the world. 67. I said. Hey, three years, then you've made it, pal. The fireman remarked with a grin. He was an estimated 30 years younger than I, probably born in 2007. I clutched the silver box in my coat pocket. Actually, I had intended to hand it to the first rescue worker I met. But I had my doubts about this youngster. I forced myself to smile wryly. It's not the years. It's the mileage. And what about that poor guy? I asked, pointing to the man lying on the ground. Don't you see that? He's already dead. No pulse. The firefighter replied. I only have the standard model. I guess that's all the force is paying for, huh? I nodded. The firefighter nodded as well. 
Are you in charge of the investigation? I shook my head. That's what the KDD colleagues are doing. I'm with the CID. Alrighty then. Let us do our job and step aside. I nodded. In my capacity as a witness, I was really just getting in the way of my colleagues. The man pointed to Sam. Is that yours? He asked. She. And yes, she's mine. A real beauty. Doesn't fit your type. I gave the fireman a look. Come on, Sam. I sat down on one of the benches by the retention pond and watched the carp fishes. Sam lay at my feet, dozing. After about 20 minutes, I saw another drone copter from the main station land on the lower level lawn. Out of it climbed Hubert Siska. He was with the KDD and presumably the investigator in charge. In his hand, he carried an aluminum thermal mug. Siska was in his late 30s and saw himself as a gift to the ladies, but above all to the Bochum police. In other words, Siska was a hormone-driven moron. But for some inexplicable reason, he always got along brilliantly with his superiors. That's why he had already surpassed me in rank at his age. Siska talked to the guys from the fire department for a moment, took a quick look at the dumpster, and then came over to me and sat down on the bench next to me along with his thermos. He gestured to the battlefield behind us with a nod of his head. Some shit, huh? He remarked. You could say that. You got something? Siska asked. I hesitated. With my robotic hand, I still clutched the silver box in my coat pocket. I looked at him. Siska laughed and patted me on the shoulder. Did you really wait to make your statement? Well, that's the drill. I replied. Relax, Lenka. Siska grinned and pointed his finger at the gray sky. Big Brother has recorded everything and already analyzed the data. The report is as good as done. Don't you want to add my testimony? No need. What did you saw that the satellites didn't? And what about the woman? I asked. Siska took a sip from his thermal mug. What woman? I pointed in the direction of the dead man. Just before the container buried him, the man was arguing with a woman. She was much closer than I was. Siska shook his head. There was no woman in the satellite records. You must have been mistaken. I looked at him, puzzled. For a moment, I thought he was pulling my leg. But then I read in his face that he was serious. Siska, listen. I began. He shook his head. Nope. No need. I've got everything KDD's artificial intelligence needs for the report. He stood up. Then he paused for a moment. One more thing. In the satellite recording, it looks like the guy reached out and then said something to you. What was that? Damocles. The poor bastard said the word Damocles. I'm sorry, Siska, but I didn't got that. Sounded like a rattle to me. My ears aren't the best anymore, I'm afraid. I shrugged apologetically. Siska shrugged his shoulders now, too. Don't be sorry, Lenka. Just makes my job easier. He tapped his fingers against an imaginary hat brim. See you around. I nodded at him in farewell. See ya. I sat there for a few more minutes, then headed home with Sam. As I did, I clutched the silver box tightly. I didn't dare pull it out to examine it. In this decade, not only the walls had ears, but the sky had eyes. It was strange, however, that the silver item had not been visible in the satellite recording of the accident. 
For the modern technology of the police, this inconspicuous appearing silver item had been invisible. And it must have been the same with the less inconspicuous, tall blonde with the updo. I had the feeling that there was more to this tragic accident of a cargo drone than an investigator of Siska's caliber was able or willing to imagine. And then there was the word that the dying man had whispered to me. Damocles. That had been some Greek from ancient mythology who hadn't liked having a sword dangling from a horsehair above his head. I glanced at my old-fashioned Apple Watch. Of course, I could have the time superimposed on my field of vision by implant, but I was old-fashioned about that, too. Augmented reality had always remained suspicious to me. It was just half past eight, so my shift wouldn't start for another couple of hours. So instead of going home, Sam and I hopped on the 306 monorail to the main train station and then changed to the 0 to 35, which took us to the university campus in a few minutes. The university library was one of the central buildings on campus, along with the auditorium. The building had ceased to operate as a stock library a few years ago, as most of the books had been scanned and digitally processed and were now available on the internet. Simon, along with a handful of remaining colleagues, worked in the archive, which was located on the upper floors of the building not far from his office. There, the last existing book copies were located, which were gradually digitized. As more and more students at the Ruhr University were studying with the help of their implants, the vacated lower floors had been converted into offices for university employees. Other floors served as virtual labs where students and professors worked on experiments or augmented reality projects, depending on the faculty. Simon's job description as a graduate librarian was now one of those threatened with extinction. More was being read than ever before in human history. However, thanks to implant technology, the texts floated in space in front of the reader's field of vision or were read aloud by a pleasant voice. The spacious office was a maze of bookstacks. Sam ran ahead, relying entirely on her nose. I myself had to pass through this maze first, until I finally met my old friend at its center as well. Simon referred to himself as a Jewish Arab or an Arab Jew, depending on his mood. For me, he was one of my last good friends who was still alive. He was currently squatting in front of Vincent, the stout scanning robot with whom Simon had worked closely for the last few years. Sam sat obediently next to it and waited for Simon to greet them. But he was completely occupied with the robot in front of him. Simon was the kind of person who was better at dealing with things like books and equipment than with living creatures. His relationship with Vincent was particularly close. The mismatched pair, the lanky old man and the squat roundish robot shared something of a love-hate relationship. Vincent had opened the lid of his head. On the exposed glass scanning surface lay an old book bound in dark leather. With today's terahertz radiation scanning technology, it was no longer necessary to open the individual pages of a book to scan it. Placing the book on the robot's head was enough for Vincent to digitally capture the book in seconds. I already captured this book three years ago. Vincent explained with a bored tone. Possibly, but certainly not this edition. This edition is identical to the 2024 edition already captured. Just do it, Vincent. Simon pleaded, rolling his eyes. Why should I? Because that's your fucking job, you tin bucket. He grumbled. My job is to capture all the documents in the library collection. Recapturing texts that have already been scanned adds unnecessary work. The robot paused. 
Hello Chief Inspector Lenka, perhaps you can distract your friend a little, so that I can continue my work undisturbed. Good God, I long for the days when a scanner didn't talk back. I'm sorry to hear that. Vincent remarked. Simon sighed, removed the book from the glass surface, and replaced it with a stack of other books. Here. Enjoy it, you tin bucket. Thank you very much. Vincent said. Simon finally turned to Sam, who greeted him with a wagging tail. Hello, my girl. Are you still hanging out with that looser? He asked, then winked at me. Hello Joseph, what brings you to this haven of knowledge and madness so early in the day? Do we have a dinner date today? No. It's way too early for that. I shook my head. Nothing like that. I want you to look at something. I took the silver box out of the pocket of my coat and put it on the desk in front of Simon. He took a look at the box. What's this? He asked. I was hoping you could tell me. A dying man in the West Park put this box in my hand. The strange thing is, there was no record of it on the satellite's records. A dying man? Asked Simon. I nodded. He had a drone cargo container fall on his head. Simon raised his eyebrows. A cargo drone losing its cargo so easily? That's more than unlikely. Such incidents are extremely rare. And yet it did happen. I was a witness. So was an unknown woman. But there is no trace of her in the satellite's records either. At least according to Siska's testimony. A woman, you say? Simon scratched his temple. It's not so easy to erase people or objects from records. Especially not records with the technical standard of government agencies like police satellites. Simon pointed to the box. Did you show Siska this thing? Why would I show him something that officially doesn't exist? Simon nodded and looked at the can more closely. True. He knew all too well of my dislike for my colleague. But. Simon pointed out. Aren't you misappropriating evidence? I was once led to believe by an old friend that as a police officer you had to respect the law. I rolled my eyes and ignored this objection. What does the term Damocles mean to you? I asked. He knew I was noting his objection but ignoring it for the moment. He cocked his head. What do you think of that? Well, Damocles, according to legend, was probably a protege of the tyrant Dionysius of Syracuse. As I recall, that was in the first half of the 4th century. I think one is not sure if the tyrant was Dionysius I or the second. In any case, this said Damocles was envious of Dionysius. The tyrant was rich and powerful. He flattered the tyrants. In other words, Damocles was an askisser. Dionysius therefore decided to show Damocles the dangers of wealth and power by means of a prank. Dionysius invited Damocles to a banquet and allowed him to sit at the royal table himself. What Damocles did not know, however, was that Dionysius had previously had a large sword hung above Damocles' seat, held up by nothing more than a horsehair. The feast began. But when Damocles finally noticed the sword above his head, Damocles could no longer bring down a bite. He asked to be allowed to leave the place. He preferred to live safely in freedom and renounce his privileges. Damocles had learned that wealth and power must be paid for at the price of danger. Simon looked at me. And what does this imperialist legend have to do with this thing here? I don't know. That was the last thing the man in the park said. It seemed very important to him, along with this silver box. Simon shook his head. Well, it doesn't mean anything to me. He turned his head. Hey, Vincent. Get your tinnis over here. Vincent rolled up. The more polite one is, the more polite he treats the lower. Simon lifted his brows. Ludwig born, I guess, I remarked. That is correct. What are you trying to tell us? Asked Simon. Just a thought. Vincent paused. What can I be of service with? I gave Simon a hint that I didn't want Vincent to approach. 
Stop, I commanded. Vincent stopped. What is it? Asked Simon. I don't want him listening in, I said. Simon looked to the silver box. I see. Vincent, I'd like to talk to Bob. He turned back to Vincent. Vincent hesitated for a moment. Then he said, As you wish. I almost thought I heard a grinding noise in Vincent's metallic guts. Then the robot continued speaking in a softer, higher-pitched voice. My name is Bob. How may I be of service? I looked at Simon. This is Bob, he explained. Bob is a separate, secured partition of Vincent's personality. I set it up in case an old friend I know wants to investigate things that aren't quite pristine, if you'll pardon that old-fashioned expression. Well, thank you, Simon. That makes me feel much better. So, Bob, said Simon to the robot, placing the silver box on the glass surface on top of the robot's head. What can you tell me about this silver box? The robot was silent as he examined the object. This silver box is a very old object. How old? Asked Simon. Bob hesitated, as if the robot was aware of the implications of his words. Considering the workmanship of the material, an estimated 4,600 years. There you have it, Joseph. That thing is a valuable antique. There's more. Bob continued. However, the box's great age is at odds with the state-of-the-art transmitter technology it contains. This silver box appears to be a type of amplifier for certain frequency ranges used in commercially available brain implants to utilize network services. Apparently, it can be used to unlock numerous new and, to me, unknown functions in brain implants. Do you have any explanation as to how and why such technology was installed in such an old silver box? No I can't give a reasonable explanation for that based on the data available to me. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Master. I raised my eyebrows. Master? I looked at Simon. If the tin bucket has been given a new personality by me, at least it one that respects me as opposed to his actual one. Simon took the silver box from the glass surface of the robot head and handed it to me. So this thing is? It is, in my opinion, a talisman of some sort. Simon said. A what? A magic item. Something that transforms the properties of something mundane into something special. But this is a technical object. How is it supposed to have magical abilities? It basically just depends on perspective. How did Arthur C. Clarke put it? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And how does it work? I haven't the faintest idea. But if Bob's analysis is correct, then this thing accomplishes something that is basically considered utterly impossible, right? Exactly. I wasn't aware that you could upgrade a standard implant in this way. You can, of course, upgrade the firmware in a brain implant from time to time. That makes the implant safe from external attack. But this thing here apparently completely remodels your implant without extensive brain surgery. So this thing must be pretty damn sophisticated, and therefore pretty damn valuable. Valuable enough to kill someone for? Are you kidding? This thing is certainly worth millions. Maybe more. I gave a surprised whistle. Could someone who could build something like this possibly also make a cargo drone lose its load in exactly the right place at exactly the right time? That possibility exists. And that possibility honestly scares the shit out of me. I think it would be very sensible for you to swallow your pride and turn this item over to Siska as soon as possible. Let this schmuck deal with it. As I stepped back out of the library building with Sam, I stood indecisive for a moment. Was Simon right? Should I just hand the silver box over to Siska? I would get in trouble, of course. 
Stealing a piece of evidence from a crime scene was no petty offense. On the other hand, there was no investigation into a crime. The whole thing had been a tragic accident, but of course Sisko was only investigating in the direction of an accident because he knew nothing about the existence of the silver box. What had Simon said? The box, and especially the technology inside it, could be worth millions. But why was there nothing of it or the blonde woman on the satellite records? At least, Siska said that. I myself had not yet seen the records. My mind was made up. I would look at the records first, and then decide whether to give the silver box to Siska. Something about this whole thing seemed very odd to me. At this point, I just didn't know how odd.